This is Yes in Marketing, the podcast for people who believe that great ideas can come from anywhere. I'm your host, Steve Pakras. Join me for conversations with eclectic marketers and creative thinkers. Yes in Marketing is brought to you by Verblio, the friendliest content creation platform in the business. We've published 100 episodes of Yes in Marketing, and through every one, we've stayed true to the show's promise of going beyond the usual best practices to bring you unexpected marketing insights. In today's episode, we're intentionally breaking down a few of those best practices by pulling some of our favorite pieces of contrarian advice from the past two years of the show. From why attribution isn't everything to why shorter slide decks aren't better, we hope you enjoy the conversations. On episode 21, Andy Christadina, the co-founder of Orbit Media, explained why best practices aren't the be-all, end-all, and what we should follow instead. I would say this to anyone, uh, best practices are only are only useful in the absence of first party data. So mm. when people say we do this because that's the way it's done, you're not actually making you're not helping that client make the best decision because that's the way it's done might be for the broader industry or for a different audience or a company with different goals. So I I've come to conclude that best practices are really just good hypotheses that should be tested and that the best decisions come from actual data about that website content, design, that visitor, that moment of truth for that person right then. That took me a while to figure that out, but there's a hierarchy, right? Opinions the lowest, best practices are next best. First party data analytics and tools would be the, would be better than that. And the ultimate is the live AB split test of you know two versions of one content with the same audience split between champion and challenger. The more decisions you make based on data, the better your chance of, I mean, the purpose of analytics is to know which things to double down on and which things to stop doing. It is a decision support tool. Don't use it for reporting. Use it to make decisions about where to um, invest much, much more and what to quit doing. Because good stuff is 10x the bad stuff. It's not good and bad like something's a little bit better. It's good and bad like some things are amazing and some things are worthless. Every report in digital marketing is a curve where 1% of things are getting 10 or 100x the results. So we've got to find those and really invest heavily in, in, in those channels, those content, those topics, those keywords, every one of those tactics. On episode 60, B2B Decision Labs of Chief Visionary Officer Tim Reister took aim at two common myths of the business world, negotiations and slide decks. There used to be a, a history of people talking about he or she who speaks first in a negotiation loses. And, and the reality is it's a concept called first offers. And what we've been able to discover is whoever puts the first offer out creates the anchor. And so if you don't speak first, the good chance is your customer is going to anchor you and they aren't going to anchor you high. And now you're trying to fight your way back up, claw that back. And, and the interesting thing is if you make the first offer, you have a better shot at even though you might have to concede a little bit, you're still going to land higher than where you would have clawed yourself up from if you let the customer make the first offer and anchor you. So it's all about first offer equals anchoring. It allows you to set a high target. So everybody who has said he or she who speaks first loses has been wrong. They, they didn't have a study to prove that. Another one is less is more. In the, in the era now of virtual presentations, everybody's like, that slide deck's too long. And why do you have those animations? Get rid of them. The, the truth is we've discovered you need more motion, more, not emotion, more motion, more animation, more things happening to keep people engaged and focused. And so we have tested that decks that are twice and three times as long as others are more effective more memorable, more motivating. 
It's just on how you deliver it. And that's because that we have to overcome something called a stimulation threshold. And online, the stimulation threshold is higher and there's more competition for the attention. So something has to happen on the screen. So we talk about literally every slide you produce has to have builds and animations in it. And you reveal the story as you tell it, instead of exposing it all and saying, I only used one slide. And, and then letting your audience, like we use eye tracking devices. We can see their gazes all over the place and it doesn't follow the story. But if you use animations, or even better, if you draw on your slide and annotate something like the gaze goes right to where you are. And so they're listening and digesting the story as you tell it, as opposed to in their mind, summarizing and drawing a conclusion before you even get to the end. On episode 72, Ashley Foss, content strategy lead at Atlassian, explained what we're all getting wrong about thought leadership. What do most people get wrong about thought leadership and why do they insist on doing it? Two things. First, it has to be an executive or a founder or a C-suite person. That the only, the person who is the thought leader in the company has this big fancy title. That's the first thing. The second thing is that thought leadership equals sales. The example I'll give this, talking to a fellow marketer, we were talking about podcast strategy and talking about goals and metrics and the whole plan. And they were like, yeah, the goal of the podcast is to generate X amount of dollars in pipeline. And I was like, I'm going to stop you right there. Your podcast is not, that's not a thing. Again, it can contribute, but let's move on from that. And I was like, okay, what is the nature of the podcast? And they were like, it's a thought leadership podcast. I'm like, great. What are you going to talk about? We're going to bring our company executives on to talk about how our product helps solve the, the problem <laughs> that we solve. And I was like, that sounds like a great sales pitch. Sounds like a great piece of sales enablement content, which is why you're trying to get to pipeline. That's not thought leadership. The framework that I've kind of come up for this is a four pillar framework. And so, yes, there's the credibility piece where people have to believe that you know what the heck you're talking about. And a title can be a proxy for that, depending on what it is. Again, I might have a fancy marketing title, but if you start asking me to forecast these fancy models, you're probably going to want to find someone from finance to do that for you, not me. Uh, so credibility, then there is profile. So this is how well known are you and what is the nature of the people that know you? Um, so again, you hear this joke of like, oh, I have three readers and it's my mom and my husband and, you know, my best friend, right? That's a one-to-one, -one, you know, I know you personally connection. As you grow your profile, you start to see that ratio change of the number of people that know you, but that you don't know them. And that's where you start to think about that profile piece. Next is prolific. So this is how often are you writing, speaking, sharing, codifying things and, and giving them out to the world in the different types of channels. Fourth thing is depth of ideas. This is a huge misconception because people think that if you're good at your job, that means that you're a thought leader. That is not true. The key is that you're sharing externally and you're codifying that information in a way that someone else could follow it, implement it, build on it. And so if you kind of score people on this, you can start to see where you may need to help and where you may need to focus to build them into a thought leader or a spokesperson or an influencer. But the idea that like, well, we'll just take someone with a fancy title. Okay. But if they're not saying anything and they're not sharing anything, they're not a thought leader, right? It's the definition thought. You have to say interesting things and leader, you have to have followers. On episode 73, angel investor and advisor Dave Kellogg challenged the notion that good copy is short. 
and most marketers think short copy, right? Oh, got to be short. People are busy. They have no attention span. But I can tell you, if you're going to go buy all-terrain tires for your truck, right, or if you're going to buy new roofing tiles for your house, right, um, or if, if you're going to get, I don't know, a laser eye surgery procedure or whatever it is, you, you have time for long copy, right? <laughs> so for any basically high consideration purchase, like, okay, look, maybe if you're selling candy bars at the checkout aisle of a supermarket, a kind of impulse purchase, maybe this principle doesn't apply. But if you're selling anything that's kind of a medium or high consideration purchase, either because it's got a high price tag or the success or failure of it is key to your job, you have time. So, so I think one of the biggest assumptions I'm going to challenge in marketing is this everyone's busy, nobody has time to read anymore or watch 30-minute videos anymore or go to your webinar anymore. If you're selling a high consideration product where success is critical, the price tag is high, or it makes a big impact on the career of the purchaser, they have time. So, so to me, you should take as much time to write long, good copy, right? Because that's what will sell. Someone who is interested in some ways, it's just empathy. But if I had to write, root everything back to a simple first principle, imagine yourself in the position of the buyer, right? You're going to buy tires. Let's pick a pretty boring item. Well, those tires are going to carry your car around. You're going to drive them on snow. You're going to drive them in rain. You're going to have your kids in the back seat, right? It's actually a fairly important decision. You want to make sure you buy the right tire, right? You're, you're going to spend some time reading, maybe not a 12-page white paper on tire design, but you're going to try and get data on comparative stats on how the tires hold on dry, you know, dry dry surfaces, wet surfaces, snow, et cetera, right? You're going to, because it's an important purchase to you, you have time. So if you create good content, and ultimately what I'm saying is create content that you'd want to read if you're in the position of the buyer and adapt its length and depth accordingly. On episode 77, Cassidy Shield, the chief growth officer at Refine Labs, explained why attribution doesn't matter. We don't measure our podcast and how much revenue it generates because that's unrealistic. That's not why you start a podcast. We don't do uh, attribution. And I'll give you a very simple reason why. is because the marketing team's North Star is pipeline. So we don't need attribution to understand if marketing is doing well or not. We just look at pipeline. Is it going up? Is it going down? Is it converting to revenue? That's what the marketing team is measured on. It's the marketing team's job to manage their mix in order to maximize the pipeline that they create. So as a leader, I'm definitely scrutinizing what they do day in and day out and looking at the tactics and making sure they understand leading indicators and drivers. But I don't care that some LinkedIn organic post drives pipeline. I don't care if it's necessarily paid. I'm looking at it in its entirety. Is the marketing team effective or not? And do they know what they're doing to drive the business forward? And I don't need attribution software to do that. On episode 32, Rand Fishkin, co-founder of Moz and Spark Toro, shared why he focuses on channels that can't be measured. So basically what, what I have found in my career is that serendipitous, hard to measure investments like conferences and events, uh, podcasts, webinars, um, guest appearances on YouTube channels, um, uh, video like, like Whiteboard Friday, which is a, I can see when people consume it, but I have a very difficult time telling whether and when those people ever ended up converting to a paid account. You know, there was some data sort of suggestive of it, but, but kind yeah. of the, the harder to measure a channel was, 
the fewer people invested in it, and thus the less competition there was, and the easier it was to do uniquely well and to add unique value via those channels. And so I have, in my career, consistently put a lot of energy and effort into things that I can't prove work, but I'm pretty sure one or more of them do work quite well. And that has been, I think that's especially valuable when you're doing it on the organic side, because the only thing you're really costing yourself is kind of time and energy. And when you make those investments of time and energy in those serendipitous, hard to measure channels, you also get better at the activity. So my, you know, my hope is our podcast together, Steve, I am a more interesting guest who does a better job of speaking, who is more listenable to than I was a year ago or two years ago or five years ago. And hopefully in five years, I'll be an even more interesting guest, right? That, that's kind of the, the core of how I think about those investments is even if I don't get, not getting a return from one particular uh, podcast I do, webinar I appear on, right? I've, I'm sure you've done this too. You go to a conference or an event or a webinar and there's like 50 people in the room or 20 people or 11 people. And it's just, you know, draining. You're like, oh man, why, why did I fly all the way here? Why did I spend 10 hours on this slide deck? Well, you know why? Because you're going to be better at it next time. On episode 33, Ritesh Patel formerly of Ogilvy Consulting and currently at Finn Partners, continued the theme with more caution against relying too much on measuring and digitization. I think we are at fault a little bit. I say this all the time. You know, we've made digital so addressable and so measurable that that's to our detriment. Because, you know, you don't, you don't question a media buy which is a combination of a TV, radio, and billboard. Nobody says, well, can you tell me the click-throughs on the billboard? Mm-hmm. It's just given that there's a billboard that helps me build my brand as people are driving past it. But there's no measure that says, I can tell you exactly how many cars drove past and who in that car, then based on the review of the billboard, bought your product. Yet we hold ourselves to a different standard in digital, where when we do a display ad on a Wall Street Journal, the first thing the marketer asks is, well, how many clicks am I going to get? And how many sales am I going to get from that? And then you sort of say, wait a minute, it's part of an overall brand building exercise. So I think as digital marketers, we've done ourselves a disservice by making things so measurable that we've forgotten marketing and brand building. Uh, And how do you actually use these things to build your brand as an overall brand experience, as opposed to honing in on, if I spend a dollar on search, am I going to get $3 back? So that's the thing I tell people all the time is digital is here to enhance and augment and amplify and help you build your brand. If you hold digital only as an ROI mechanism and you focus on it on an ROI mechanism, then you're missing the plot because that's not the way you should do it. You know, we overemphasize as the digital guy, I firmly believe, you know, my motto is if it moves, digitize it. That's what I live by. But there are times where I have to, temper that because that's not the answer sometimes so we also have to say a lot of marketers will force things on digital sometimes when you shouldn't do that so i you know the the lurch to technology as the savior is a wrong thing i think 
technology is an enabler and a tool set that you should be using to build your brand for your product. On episode 91, Sean Griffey, the CEO and co-founder of Industry Dive, shared his contrarian take on precision marketing. Where I'm contrarian in a lot of the marketing today is I think we, we're going a little too overboard with the ABM and account-based marketing. I think we're going a little bit too overboard thinking about the precision of marketing. And, I, you know, we're in a digital media company. We can target people. You know, we have data. We can target people incredibly precise ways. I think the thing I've learned is that's not always the best answer and that the influence and the buying decisions and the rest, it's so much more complex than we think and know. And I think the pursuit to put ROI on marketing has maybe, you know, there was value in it at one point, right? Because we were too far into, let's make, you know, ads with cats that have nothing to do with my SaaS software, right? But I think we're swinging, we've swung a little bit too far to, hey, I only want this job title at this company. And I don't care if the four other people at that company, this person talks to every day, sees my ad or knows anything about me, you know? And it's just a, we've lost the sort of thread that humans humans consult with each other to make decisions, right? And they want validation of the rest and marketers need to think about more than just this pinpoint precision. I'm going to go to Facebook and only look for this person. It's just not the right way. On episode 100, angel investors and advisors Denise and Jim Franklin broke down the most common mistake they see startups prioritizing, KPIs. KPIs, it makes me nuts. As much as I love tech stars and that ecosystem, it's one of the things they teach early stage startups. And yeah, it just makes me crazy. It's like KPIs work if you're Google, you're giant, and you need everyone in this thousands of people company to, to be aligned. But it's when you're a startup and your hair's on fire and you're trying to get product market fit and you're trying to hire people, like focus on a few key metrics that make sense for you. But like developing the system of KPIs is insane. I mean, it has its time and place, but not early stage. Yeah, just be this, like bringing process in too early. Uh, I think KPIs can actually backfire. In the case of SendGrid, we had a, a large developer relations team. So we were paying probably 17 people to go out and attend at least an event a day you know, somewhere in the world. And like marketers would want to like get KPIs on that, right? Like, well, how many people were in the audience? And, you know, would you get their contact info? Is it in the CRM? But these people doing developer relations were actually developers, you know, and they were shilling for marketing, but they didn't want to feel like they were shilling for marketing. And so if you had them do KPIs, it just, it killed their mojo. And so it's kind of like, you know, holding a butterfly, you have to hold it, you know, just so, right? So we're not fans of KPIs. Yeah. And I also, Jim touched on the point of just being processed too early. Like I'm very much a process person, but with an early stage startup, you have to do process just in time, right? Like, oh shit, this is about to break. Can I say that? Um, we need to get a process in place, but it's not like, oh, in a year from now, we're going to need this process. So I'm going to build it now. It's just, you know, focus on what's at hand and, and build as you need. They put my investor ears on. If I if I see a startup that's really good at KPIs, I take that as a strong negative signal because it's poor performing companies that aren't busy. You know, they don't have stuff breaking all the time. They can sit around. It's kind of like sales reps, right? The sales reps who turn in their forecast reports on time aren't the top producers, <laughs> right? The top producers, you got to hound them for their paperwork, right? It's like, 
it's kind of like with a startup. If they're like too busy to put the word packet together or it's this, you know, kind of crappy thing, it's like, that's okay, right? Or there's good problems and bad problems. Like having a lot of things breaking is generally a good problem because it means it's getting used versus having a nice, orderly, neat, you know, whether it's a board packet or a KPI report or something. It's like, hmm, you should be a little more, yeah, Denise said, more hair on fire is, is okay in the early days. On episode 97, Doug Kessler, co-founder of marketing agency Velocity, shared his contrarian advice to explore negativity. Explore negativity, you know, hate something. I mean, there's this terrible vibe and rule out there in marketing. Everything has to be Pollyanna positive. It's all wonderful, wonderful. But that's not life. Like, there's plenty to hate. And if, you, if you're not a hateful <laughs> brand, but you hate the obstacles to your prospect success, you know, go ahead and hate you know, have some fun hating. I think explore negativity and um, good things might happen. On episode 83, Kate Creamer, senior marketing manager at Overstory, explained why we shouldn't just be following the year's top marketers. If we're constantly following that list of top 20 marketers in 2021, we're just going to keep repeating patterns that we've seen be successful in the past. But what we're missing when we do that is the perspectives of people who have been forced to be creative in their lives because marketing or the world or buildings or any resources out there weren't built for them. So over and over, I've, in, in the past couple of years, especially, I've been trying just to educate myself on different perspectives and learn from people who don't look like me, don't have the same experiences as me. So I guess the advice that I'd like to bring up for especially new marketers who are just trying to figure out where to look is find people who don't look like you and who don't have the same background as you. There was a book that I read a couple of years ago called Disability Visibility by Alice Wong, who's a disability rights activist that completely changed my perspective on diversity and what that means and what that brings to the table. I'm never going to do it justice because I look and sound like so many other marketers and, and thought leaders, podcast people out there in the world. But I think we're missing out on so many good perspectives. And I would love to hear more from people who have to navigate the world a little bit differently, because I think that makes us all a little more, a little more truly empathetic and emotionally intelligent. Cool. Very well said. The diversity and inclusiveness, I think, is a big part of it. And the other cool thing is just how cool marketing is, that it's one of the only fields that you can work in where if you study all best practices in the field, you'll fail. So you have to go be interesting and find things that are interesting in order for you to be successful, which means you get to read sci-fi and study fungus and disability and everything that all contributes to your thinking. Exactly. Be weird. It makes it all a little more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Make marketing weird. That's our campaign. I love it. And finally, on episode 64, Melanie Diesel, former director of content at Foundation Marketing, currently co-founder of The Convoy, challenged the idea that good ideas are scarce. One thing that I always like to leave people with is you have more ideas than you think you do. You are more creative than you think you are. That was the biggest shock for me, I think, coming into the marketing world was discovering that people view good ideas as something that's scarce, that like not everybody can do it or like I'm not a creative. That breaks my heart because that's society that has conditioned us to keep those ideas to ourselves and to like shut off that part of our brain. So that's always just my encouragement is 
if you have that feeling, if you're fearing that you don't have what it takes or you don't have good ideas, all that means is that the muscle's a little weak because you haven't used it in a while. And like continue to exercise that, continue to test things out, continue to share ideas and they get better over time. I don't want anyone to feel like they, they don't have a creative bone in their body. You do, you do. Just give it some love. Thanks for listening to Yes in Marketing. If you enjoy the show or learned something new today, please take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It means a lot. Thanks. Thanks.